Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn today in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. The first verse uses the word therefore. And when you see the word therefore in the Bible, it's, it's coming to a conclusion, right? So, so when you see that word therefore, you want to think on the basis of all the things that have been said in the verses right before this, this is the, the conclusion that we can come to. And so as Paul has, has instructed us here about the old man and the new man and how we ought not to walk as the world and we ought not to exhibit that old man, but we ought to put on the new man and, and really exhibit who Christ is to the world around us. He says, be therefore. The conclusion of all that is that we are to be followers of God as dear children. Remember this, this uh, section here in the last half of chapter 4 that we've been studying, the... the uh, Uh, Apostle Paul, after describing the walk of the Gentiles, he said, You have not so learned Christ if you have heard him and been taught of him. And so here he says that the conclusion from all these things is that we ought to be followers of God as dear children. Now, it says here that Christ gave himself as a a sweet-smelling savor. And that's something that, if, if you're not real familiar with the Old Testament, you might miss the, the uh, importance of what it's describing there. This idea of the sweet savor is something that, if you're, if you're very familiar with the Old Testament, should not be a, a new thing to you. And Christ, Christ giving himself as a sweet-smelling savor is a fulfillment of many Old Testament types. And uh, go ahead and put a, a mark here in Ephesians 5, and we're going to... Go back into the the Old Testament a little bit. Go back to Genesis chapter 8, first of all. The first place in the Bible where you see mention of a sweet-smelling savor, a sweet savor, is here in Genesis 8. And you know that when you're studying the Bible, when you're studying the Bible on your own, one of the most beneficial things that you can do when when you see a a term or a concept or, or an idea is go back to the very first place in the Bible where that word or that concept appears, and often that will reveal a lot of important things about, about what that concept signifies, okay, or what that word or term signifies. And, and that's why word study is such a beneficial thing in God's word. I mean, even just individual words, you can take and trace them through the Bible, but very often the very first place where something is mentioned will, will give you some special insight into that thing. And, and that's, a, that's a powerful tool for you to use in your own Bible study. Here in Genesis 8, we have the first mention of a sweet savor. And it's, uh, as, as Noah gets off of the ark, 
Um, remember the, the story of Noah and the flood, the, the global flood that God brought on the earth begins in chapter 6 and then continues on through, through chapters uh, 7 and, and 8 and really into uh, chapter 9. But in Genesis 8, verse 20... Actually, start in verse 18. It says, And Noah went forth, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds, went forth out of the ark. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite any more every living thing, or everything living, as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. And so here as Noah gets off the ark, the first thing he wants to do is give a sacrifice to God. After he's just been brought through this, this ordeal where he and his family are the only ones saved of the entire world. I mean, can, can you imagine that? I don't know how big the population of the earth was before the flood, but whatever it was, after the flood, it comes down to eight people. Eight people, Noah and his wife, Noah's three sons and their wives. And Noah is, is preserved, Noah and his family are preserved through all of that judgment by the Lord there in the ark. And it would be, be uh, natural that when Noah gets off of the ark, he wants to worship the Lord. Now remember, the idea of sacrifice does not begin here at the flood. Uh, sacrifice goes back to, to the beginning chapters of the book of Genesis, where Abel brings a, uh, an animal sacrifice to the Lord. He brings the choice of his flock. And remember, Cain brought of the, the, the fruit of the cursed ground, and that was not acceptable to God, but the sacrifice that Abel brought was acceptable. And even, and even before that, where did they ever get the idea? Where did, where did anybody ever get the idea that an animal ought to be sacrificed to God? If you remember, when Adam and Eve sinned and they were, they were put out of the garden, and now they had this sense of shame and, and a, uh, a sense of their nakedness, that God provided for that with animal skins. God made a sacrifice of an animal in order to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. That's, that's the first animal sacrifice in the Bible. And so this isn't something new here with Noah, but this is the first time where when the sacrifice is offered that it says the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And you see what the response of the Lord is to Noah's sacrifice. The Lord smells the sweet savor, and then it is that the Lord says that he will not again curse the ground for man's sake. That, that uh, he won't really, what he's, what he's promising there, and if you continue reading, he's promising not to bring a flood again on the earth. And so the sweet-smelling savor is associated with the mercy of God. It's associated with sacrifice and with, with the mercy of God. Um, not, you know, not bringing, here he's saying he's not, gonna, he's not going to uh, bring this kind of curse on the earth again, even though he knows man's going to deserve it again. Right? I mean, it's not very long before, it's really just a, a short period of time between when Noah gets off the ark and when man starts to build the Tower of Babel. 
right? It's not, it's not thousands of years intervening there. It's just a short period of time. God knows they're, they're wicked. He says it right there in the passage, but he's going to show mercy to man, and he's not going to destroy the earth with a flood like, like he did here. And so that sweet-smelling savor is uh, associated with the mercy of God. Now, um, because, of, because of that connection with sacrifice, with animal sacrifice, the, the natural places you might expect to find the, the most talk about a sweet-smelling savor would be in the parts of the Bible that talk the most about animal sacrifice. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and that's where in those, in those books you see over and over again it talks about sacrifices being a sweet-smelling savor. Now, not all sacrifices in, in those books where God lays out animal sacrifice, not all of them are described as being a sweet-smelling savor. Certain sacrifices are, others are not. You remember, there were a lot of different kinds of sacrifices. You have sin offerings, and you have um, peace offerings, and you have offerings of thanksgiving, and you have free will offerings, and all these different kinds of sacrifices that they gave. There were animal sacrifices, there were sacrifices of, of produce, there were sacrifices of drink offerings, all these different things. Some of them are described as being a sweet-smelling savor, some are not. And, and Israel had to continually be bringing these sacrifices, this sweet savor, this sweet smell to the Lord to escape the, the wrath and judgment of God. Um, you know, by the way, the, the fact that it calls it a, a sweet savor, there, it, you know, it's interesting how people relate to smells. You know, that you relate to smells very differently than you do to, to things that you hear or to things that you see or, or any of the other senses. And uh, it's, there's been a lot of research that's been done on this and how a, a smell can bring back a memory for people even, even more strongly than seeing something or, or hearing something, okay? And, and you think about that, you know, you, uh, there's, there's just certain smells, certain smells that, that maybe you associate with, your, with, with growing up or, or different things, and just... just even something that is kind of resembles that smell can bring back that memory very strongly. Um, I, you know, our 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 house there was my grandpa's house, and and very often, you know, a lot of times the smell of your house when you're in your house every day, you don't you don't notice it, but when you go away and then you come back, you you know you're you can smell that smell of your house, and that house still smells like I like I remember it smelling when we go to. Grandma and Grandpa's when we were growing up. Um, if if I go down, one of the the uh, buildings that we have was always the honey house. That was where my my uh, Grandpa would process the honey from his beehives. And you go in there, and it still smells like honey and beeswax, and and you smell that smell. And even more than than see, you know, you can look at a photograph, and that'll evoke uh, a memory or something. But that smell is a much stronger thing. And and again, they've done a lot of scientific research on that. And it's, you know, the Lord talks about, he certainly talks about seeing Israel and seeing the things that they're doing and that kind of thing. But these, these most important sacrifices are the ones that are talked about being a sweet savor. And you see, when they would offer the sacrifice and, and it says that God would smell of that sweet savor, rather than seeing all of their wickedness and remembering all of their wickedness, he would remember that sacrifice, you see. And, um, but, but if you go over to the book of Leviticus, go, go to Leviticus 26. And this, this chapter here in Leviticus 26 is one that at various times we've studied in, in quite a bit of detail. 
it, uh, it really is an important chapter of Scripture because it lays out the entire history of the nation of Israel in advance. And it lays it out in these, these curses that God was going to bring about on Israel as they refused to listen to his voice. And those of you that have studied it, you know that there are five courses of judgment in this passage. And they're cumulative and they're, they're progressive in nature. So that the, the second course is worse than the first course, the third is worse than the second, and so on. Until you come all the way down to the fifth course. And the fifth course of judgment is the most severe course of judgment that God was going to bring on the nation of Israel. Uh, in fact, it's under this fifth course of judgment that they go into captivity. Now, all of this was foretold back here in the book of Leviticus. Be- before they've even come into the, the promised land, God is telling them about things that are going to happen hundreds, and in some cases thousands, of years after the fact. And this is, a, again, a fascinating study here in Leviticus 26 because you can go through the history of Israel in the Old Testament and you can see specifically where each new course begins. All right? But in the fifth course of judgment, Leviticus 26, this is the, uh, verse, verse 27 is where I'm going to start. This is by far the most extensive course of judgment. You can see it just by the length of it. Uh, the, the judgments before that, many of your Bibles may have little, little uh, headings that show you, you know, where, the, where the, the judgments appear here in this passage. And you see that all of them are two, three, four verses. But you get to the fifth judgment, and this one really goes on all the way to the end of the, the chapter. And verse 27 says, And if ye will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. Um, Now, in the previous judgment, up in verse 24, the Lord had told them that under that judgment he would walk contrary to them. And as bad as that is, you know, there's uh, some people that I don't care if they walk contrary to me, but... If there's, if there's one individual that I don't want walking contrary to me, it's the Lord God. And here he told Israel if they were going to walk contrary to him, he would walk contrary to them. But in the fifth course, he goes even beyond that and he says, I'm going to walk contrary to you in fury. In fury. Now if there's anything worse than God walking contrary to you, it's him walking contrary to you in fury. Right? And in each of these judgments, by the way, it says that he'll punish them seven times more. Each one is seven times greater than the one before it. And verse 29, it says, And ye shall eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters shall ye eat. What it's talking about here is it's talking about their cities being under siege so that they have no food to eat, and they wind up even resorting to cannibalism. And you can see that recorded in the history of Israel there in the Old Testament. Verse 31 says, And I will make your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries unto desolation. And notice the end of verse 31. And I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors. You can imagine that in that situation, uh, Israel would try and give all kinds of sacrifices to God to win back his favor. And God says, I'm going to refuse to smell the savor of your sweet odors. And you can read not only the, the, the biblical history, but just the, the secular history of Israel and, and read about the, the uh, different, different uh, 
attacks on them and, and even on Jerusalem where they had to cease even the daily sacrifice because they, you know, I mean, if you don't have anything to eat, you certainly don't have anything to sacrifice. But here it's more than just them not sacrificing. It's that God is going to refuse to accept of their sacrifice. The, uh, the, the chastisement there goes on. In uh, verse 32 it says, I will bring the land into desolation. Your enemies which dwell therein shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you among the heathen and will draw out a sword after you. And your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. And, and it goes on to describe the captivity. This was really fulfilled, first of all, for, for Israel, the northern kingdom, in the Assyrian captivity, later for the southern kingdom in the Babylonian captivity, where they're even carried away out of the land. And the land just, just lies there waste. You know that a, a civilization over time develops the land, right? You, you prepare it for agriculture and other things. And it doesn't take very long for if, if you don't continue to use that land. It doesn't take very long for nature just to, to come back in and reclaim it. And that's for 70 years Israel was out of the land. They were, they were uh, in Babylon before they're allowed to return. And the land just laid waste. The you know whole cities, whole whole cities with houses and buildings and things just just left to decay. And when they came back, they had to you know there were some ruins that they could rebuild and things, but but in a lot of ways they were starting over from scratch. All that effort that had been put in to develop the land really was was done away with. And here it talks about how the land would rest without them for those seventy years. And um, And during all that time, God said that he was not going to smell their sweet savor. He was not going to accept of those sacrifices. By the way, as you you continue on into the Old Testament, especially when you get into the book of Daniel, you find out that this this fifth course of judgment really didn't, didn't end with the Babylonian captivity. It didn't end when Israel came back into the land. Really, you, you find out that was just the first part of this fifth course of judgment. And Daniel then describes five, you know, five, uh, some people have called them installments of this, this last course of judgment, of which the captivity was only the beginning. And uh, you can see in Daniel's prophecy, prophecy of the 70 weeks, you can see those laid out. And uh, in fact, the, the, really the tribulation period, the, the tribulation that's yet to come on the earth is the final fulfillment of this last course of judgment. And likewise, during that time, now the Bible describes during that time how there will be a temple and there will be sacrifice, at least in the, in the first part of that tribulation before it eventually is, is uh, brought to a halt. But even during that time, the sacrifices that are altered and things, they're, they're not something that God is you know, taking in that, that sweet savor. But if you go to the book of Ezekiel, go to Ezekiel chapter 20, Ezekiel describes a time when the Lord will again receive and and smell the sweet savor of these sacrifices. Now, that may be a a difficult thing to understand. You know, we understand that Christ is the once-for-all sacrifice, and yet when you you get into the book of Ezekiel, you read about a, a future temple where animal sacrifices are once again going to be offered. And the thing to remember is that animal sacrifices never took away sin. Only Christ's sacrifice could do that. And these sacrifices that are yet future in, in Ezekiel's temple are really, they serve just as a memorial, similar to, you know, today we're, gonna, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is not as some 
as some uh, man-made tradition teaches, it's not a, a sacrifice. It's not you know, Christ being sacrificed all over again in, in the Lord's Supper, but it's a memorial. And in the same way, there are going to be animal sacrifices offered in Ezekiel's temple that serve merely as a memorial of what Christ accomplished in the once-for-all sacrifice. And in Ezekiel 20, there's actually, here in the, in the book of Ezekiel, I think there's about five times that it talks about sweet savers. But most of the time, it's talking about Israel in rebellion toward God and in idolatry offering sacrifices as a sweet savor to their idols. And this passage as well talks about Israel and their, and their idols. Um, start, in, start in verse uh, 39. It says, As for you, O house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, Go ye, serve ye every one his idols, and hereafter also, if ye will not hearken unto me, but pollute ye my holy name no more with your gifts and with your idols. Now what he's saying there is, saying if you're going to go and worship idols, go do it. Don't bring idols into the temple. Don't, don't take, take uh, the things that uh, pertain to the worship of the Lord and do them in service to idols like they were doing. Uh, don't, you know, don't, don't mix the two. He's saying if you want to go worship idols, go worship idols, but don't get my name involved in it. You see? Verse 40 says, For in mine holy mountain, in the mountain of the height of Israel, saith the Lord God, there shall all the house of Israel, all of them in the land, serve me. There will I accept them, and there will I require your offerings and the first fruits of your oblations with all your holy things. I will accept you with your sweet savor when I bring you out from the people and gather you out of the countries wherein ye have been scattered, and I will be sanctified in you before the heathen, and ye shall know that I am the Lord when I shall bring you into the land of Israel, into the country for which I lifted up mine hand to give it to your fathers. And that's describing the kingdom that is yet future that's going to be established here on the earth where Israel is going to, to finally possess that land that God promised Abraham, and they're going to serve God there in the land. You see, And God says that's when he is again going to accept of their savers, of their sweet savor. Now, all of that that we've been talking about so far has to do with Israel. What, is, what does any of this have to do with us? Uh, certainly, we as believers, where Christ has been sacrificed as a sweet-smelling savor, uh, certainly for us, there's no period of judgment that we're going to go through like Israel has gone through where God is not going to accept of our, of our sweet savers, right? Because it's not the, the sweet savor that God is, is interested with regard to us is that once-for-all sacrifice that, that Christ made. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It's an interesting thing about smells and, and savors and how a smell can can cling to something. If you're around something that smells, whether good or bad, some of that smell attaches to you. Again, whether whether for good or bad. Like I was talking about our, our house. I mean there, you know, we've we've lived there now for several years and yet that, that same smell is there. Um, often uh, we have a lot of old books and, and things and there are times where I can open up a book and you can smell either the way the, the bookstore smelled where you bought it or, or, you know, other places where that book has been. You know, a smell, a smell clings to something. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it describes the, the savor of Christ, that sweet-smelling savor of the sacrifice of Christ. But notice what it says about it. It says, 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. Uh, by the way, do you believe that verse? That God always causes you to triumph in Christ? The key is the words, in Christ. It, it doesn't say he always causes you to triumph in every little thing that you try to do in your flesh. But he always causes you to triumph in Christ. You are, you are the victor in Christ. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Now here it likens the, the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God to a savor. And it says God makes that known, the savor of his knowledge, by us. We, we have a part to play in this. So verse 15 says, For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved, and in them that perish. In, in the analogy of the passage, when God smells you, he smells Christ, that sweet savor of Christ. Okay? And it says that, that we're unto God a sweet savor of Christ, and it says that we are that savor, both it says in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one, we are the savor of death unto death. And to the other, the savor of life unto life, and who is sufficient for these things. You know that when, when your life manifests who Christ is, there's going to be some people that don't like that. There's going to be some people that to them, that is like a, a foul smell, the savor of death, the smell of death. And they see your life, and they see your testimony for the Lord, and, and they see the, you know, the, the wisdom of God, which... The Bible says the wisdom of God is foolishness with man. And they're going to see that, and, and their reaction is going to be like when you smell a bad smell, and all you want to do is get away from it. But it says to those that are saved, we're the savor of life unto life. And, you know, you go out after a rain, and you can, you can smell that. It, what it does, it, you know, it stirs up the dust in the air, and, and it's, a, it's a good smell. It's a smell of life. It just smells fresh and, and good. And here it says... That's what we are to them that are saved. We're the savor of life. Okay? And so you have, a, you have a, a smell. You have a savor. And if we go back to our, to our text, if we go back to Ephesians 5, that sweet-smelling savor of the sacrifice of Christ, as you're manifesting that new man, that's, that's the savor that you take on. Now, if, if you're saved and yet you just live like the world, that verse there in 2 Corinthians isn't going to apply to you because the world isn't going to see any difference between you and them. right? But as Christ is manifest in your life, that, that sweet-smelling savor of the sacrifice of Christ becomes something that clings to you. And so Paul says in verse 3 then of Ephesians 5, he, he lists, some of this is repetition, but he lists these things. He says, but fornication and uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. You see, these, these things that are a, really are a, a stench to God. I mean, he finds a sweet-smelling savor in these sacrifices and, and here in the sacrifice of Christ. Paul says, don't, don't mingle that with all of these other things, all these things that, that would be reprehensible to God. 
Be followers of God as dear children. Walk in love, that kind of love that Christ had in sacrificing himself for us as that sweet-smelling savor, and be done with all these other things. Paul says, don't even let it be named among you. Don't, don't even let it be, be talked about favorably among you. He says, just, just have done with these things. Because smell is such a powerful thing, a lot of people spend a lot of time uh, caring for themselves so they don't, they don't smell, right? You use proper hygiene and, and that kind of thing, or you use uh, different, different things to, to change that smell or, or whatever. And the same kind of thing ought to be true about our Christian life. You realize that if your life smells bad to the world, you're probably doing something right. Right? Because it says, we're the savor of, of death unto death and them that perish. Okay? But make your life something, and through, through this power that God gives you and through putting on this new man, make your life something that's going to be a sweet-smelling savor to God. Don't worry about what the people around you think if God is pleased with it. You see? And, and let that same sweet-smelling savor of the, the sacrifice of Christ, let that be the thing that manifests in your life. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.